0: to jump into the message today. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for uh, joining us for worship. Uh, we're continuing our series called Half-Brained Christianity and I'll explain what that means in a minute. Let me start by telling telling you uh, one of my stories. Um, I coordinate the Senior Pastors Network for the Madison area uh, of the EFCA and the Forest Lakes District. That's a big mouthful to say. Basically what it means is um, I meet with other evangelical free pastors from the Madison area, and, it's, and one of my roles uh, here is to coordinate the gathering of those senior pastors. And so we meet every other month uh, in different churches and and pray and share a meal together. And so last week, I was on a Zoom call with uh, the other Pastors Network coordinators. So there were, I don't know, a dozen or so of us on this Zoom call, uh, as well as some of the district office people and we were just talking about how the networks are going and how things are doing and and that sort of thing and so as people were logging on to the zoom call this guy his face popped up on the screen and I thought he looks really familiar where have where have I seen him before I don't think I've I don't remember meeting him before And, and so I wasn't sure and I hovered the mouse over his little picture and his name was Brandon Lemons and I thought, no way, that that's there's no way that's the same Brandon Lemons. And so I, I did a quick while they were doing the intro to the meeting, I did a quick Facebook uh stalk. And um look and it, it turns out it's the same guy, and so I sent him a little sidebar note and I said, Go Panthers. Brandon Lemons grew up in Palmyra, Missouri. How many of you know where Palmyra, Missouri is? Yeah. Uh yeah. That pretty much explains it. He grew up in Palmyra, Missouri, and he went to Palmyra High School. That's where I grew up, and that's where I went to high school. Now, Brandon was a couple of years older than me um, in school, and, but his younger sister, Adrian was in my graduating class, and I was good friends with her. And their dad was my dentist. So I thought, like, who? And Brandon didn't ask me how my teeth were. But anyway, I said, I thought, what are the odds that both of us grew up in the same little rural community in Missouri, went to the same high school a couple years apart. We both became pastors in the Evangelical Free Church. We both became senior pastors in Wisconsin who also coordinate senior pastor networks. And he lives in Port Washington and coordinates the Milwaukee Network. I live in Stoughton and coordinate the Madison Area Network. And so um, once we figured out who we were, even though we weren't good friends in high school, we just kind of knew of each other. We just started catching up. We had this whole little sidebar chat and didn't really pay attention to the rest of the meeting. Uh, So Rob, Wisey, if you're watching this, sorry, missed the meeting. But I caught up with an old friend. Now the reason why we felt such an affinity to one another is because of something called group identity. Both Brandon and I belonged to a very elite group of people who graduated from Palmyra High School. Right? And so... We had a connection. Group identity is one of the most powerful forces in the world. It's part of how God created us to be. And that can be used for something good or that can be turned toward evil. Think of uh, Nazis in the World War II era and how they harnessed the power of group identity for evil. In our modern time, a little bit more contemporary, think of ISIS. ISIS. And how they used the power of group identity to uh, lead their followers to do all kinds of commit all kinds of atrocities, or think of uh, gangs. When you hear uh, stories about gang violence in the news, gangs are built on group identity, belonging to that group of people. Group identity is extremely powerful for good or evil. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, "Bad company corrupts good character." And most parents don't need to read that verse in the Bible to know that it's true. We instinctively know that it's true. We know that whoever our kids are hanging out with is going to shape the kind of people they become. And this is why most parents are really picky about who their kids' friends are. Because bad company corrupts good character. Peer pressure is a real thing. And that's true not just for teenagers, but also for adults. We don't often think about how the groups that we belong to as adults impact who we are becoming. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning as we continue our series on uh, called Half-Brain Christianity. Now the idea for this series came from the book The Other Half of Church by clinical psychologist uh, Dr. James Wilder and discipleship pastor Michael Hendricks. And in the book, they talk a little bit about how God created our brains to work. We have a left brain and a right brain. And here's a little summary. The left brain governs things like conscious thought, what we say, strategy, problem solving, logic, stories. These all live on the left side of our brain, and it's how we are thinking and processing consciously. The right side of our brain is what they call pre-conscious thought. It happens before we even become aware of it. The right side of our brain is managing things like sensory information. Six times every second, all of our senses are looking at our environment, feeding that information to the right side of our brain, and six times every second before we're even aware of it, the right side of our brain is assessing our environment. Where am I? What is the context? Who am I in this context? The the right side of the brain is asking those questions and answering them six times a second. Uh, The right side of the brain governs our emotions, our relational attachments, our group identity, and our individual identity. As Mike said last week, the left side of the brain is what we know. The right side of the brain is who we are. And the point of the book is that in order for us to become more like Christ, not just in behavior management, but in who we are, we need to engage both sides of our brain, the full picture. Uh, And group identity is a really important part of that. Here's a quote from the book. Group identity has the power to change character because it operates on the right side of the brain. Our automatic responses to distress can be trained by our group identity. Let me state this again because this concept is countercultural. Our instantaneous reactions to life's circumstances can be transformed by having a joyful Hesed community. The word Hesed means love. A joyful, Hesed community that has a well-developed group identity based on the character of Jesus. It transforms our character, not just our behaviors. right? Because character lives on the right side of the brain and character formation is managed and governed by the right side of the brain. Now how does that work? Why, does that, why is that the case? This is how God created our brains to work. The right side of our brains stores a library of examples of how we have seen different people that we feel related to or connected to act in different circumstances. And, and when the right side of your brain is assessing the environment that you're in and asking, what do I do? Who am I in this context? The way that it answers that question is it goes to that archive of examples and it says, what do my kind of people do in this environment? That's the way it asks that question. And then it feeds that information to the left side of your brain where you begin to become aware of that information. This is all happening six times a second, so it's very fast. So we have this library of examples that are stored in the right side of our brain, and if we want to change our character, our instantaneous reactions, we need to update the library of examples. So here's here's an illustration of this. I grew up in a home where the volume was loud. That's just the family I grew up in. There was a lot of yelling. Not all of it was angry yelling. It's just, it was loud. So I, as a kid growing up in my home, in my extended family, in my church family, in my neighborhood, and just in the cultural context that I grew up in, I grew up storing a library of examples of watching how people related to each other, and it included a lot of yelling. So when I got married... Corinne, one of the things Corinne used to say to me early in our marriage was, why are you yelling at me? And I would say, I'm not yelling, I'm just talking loud. <laughs> why are you angry with me? I'm not angry. Well, you're yelling at me. Well, that's, right? And so, and so I decided I don't really want to be the kind of dad or husband that yells at his wife or that yells at his kids all the time. So how do I change that? Well, I, there, the left side of the brain says, when I recognize that I'm going to yell, I stop myself. Usually that happens about halfway through the first sentence. Asher, what are you doing with that? Right. <laughs> but that's too late. I've already instantaneously reacted with the yell. If I want to, I, I want to get to the point where my initial reaction, without even thinking about it, is to react like Jesus. That's that's where I want to get to. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ, is is that. So how do I do that? I need to update my library of examples. I need to be around husbands who are gentle with their wives, dads who are gentle with their kids. I need to see dads braiding their daughter's hair because that's the kind of dad I want to be and because I'm going to have a girl and I need to know how to braid her hair. So it's too, but I need to see this. I need to update the examples. There's a, there's a funny joke. Uh, Joseph, you know, Jesus' dad, was a carpenter. And Joseph is working in his carpentry shop, and all of a sudden Jesus comes by and he says, hey, dad, did you call me? And Joseph says, no, I just hit my hand with a, with a hammer. <laughs> right? the library of examples in our brains needs to be updated. So that we begin to instantaneously, reflexively react without even thinking, like Jesus would. What we see determines our character. And we need to belong to a group of people who are living the Christian life together, who are following Jesus together and growing spiritually. So, as we are on this journey with Christ, one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves is this Who are my people? who are my people? Who are your people? You think about that question. Who is the group of people that you identify with, that your group identity is based on? Who are my people? And here's the sermon in a sentence, if we were going to uh, summarize it all. We were meant to follow Jesus together. Hopefully our people are God's people. We were meant to walk this journey together. God designed us to be in the fellowship of believers. Uh, We were created to belong to one another. When God created Adam, all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, God created the first people, Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, he created Adam, and Adam was alone. And what did God say? It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, Adam was there alone in the garden in a relationship with God and God said, no, he still, he still needs other humans, right? We were created by God to belong to one another, to be in relationship with each other, to have a group identity. Corinne and I have a friend who is a pastor of a Messianic Jewish congregation down in the Janesville area. Um, and he, they're, they're a Jewish community, um, but they, they live by the Jewish traditions and customs, but they have recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. They've given their hearts to Christ and received him as their Lord and Savior. So they're Christians and they're Jewish, and our friend is the pastor of this little congregation, and he invited us to their Seder meal this past Easter season. The Seder meal is the traditional Jewish Passover meal, and they eat it every year. And it was fascinating as you're sitting there, and every single part of the meal has a story and a scripture and a song and then you eat it and then you go to the next and there's a story and a scripture and a song and you eat it and there's a story and a scripture and it's every year they do this Seder meal and they sing the same songs and they read the same scriptures and they tell the same stories over and over and over again. Why? Because it builds that group identity. You ever read through the Old Testament and you notice all of the commands about feasts and festivals, and fasting, and rituals, and traditions, and customs, and practices, and all of these things, why were they given? They were given to take the, the Israelites and form them into the people of God, a group identity as God's chosen people. The New Testament calls this the fellowship of believers. The question is, what makes a bunch of random people into a fellowship of believers. Well, for one thing, shared stories. We think about some of the stories that are part of our cultural identity as Americans. George Washington, cut down the cherry tree, I cannot tell a lie, I cut down the tree. That's not even a true story. But it's a story that we share that's part of our American identity. Right, or the stories of Abraham Lincoln or Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad. Some of these stories inform who we are as a people. They're part of our group identity. So are stories like David and Goliath, Moses parting the Red Sea and the people walking through on dry ground, the Christmas story, the, uh, Jesus walking on the water, uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection. These aren't just stories of some random people group that lived thousands of years ago. These are our stories. And when we share stories, they form group identity. Another thing that builds group identity is shared experiences. Lots of families have family holiday traditions. Oh, my family does this or that or this at Christmas or Easter. We eat ham here. We do this, whatever. Those family holiday traditions are shared experiences that build a group identity. That's one reason why we as Christians come here every Sunday and worship God together. We sing together, we pray together, we open scripture together, we have communion together. Why? Because these shared experiences build our identity as the fellowship of believers. Another thing is shared values. Anybody ever have a parent say, in our family, we do fill in the blank. In our family, we don't quit in the middle of the season, even when it's hard. Right? In And our family we work hard. And our family we keep our word. And our family children respect their parents, right? My dad used to say that stuff to me all the time. Shared values build a fellowship. They take random people and they form them into a group. So do, does shared purpose. What is the purpose of humankind? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. To go and make disciples of all nations. Right? These are, these are a, a sense of shared purpose. We are living life on purpose together. And suffering, shared suffering also, binds us together. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The family of believers is suffering with you. All of these things create a shared identity as the fellowship of believers. And I want to just share with you this morning a few examples of what the Bible has to say about our group identity in Christ. I'm not going to elaborate much on these. I'm just going to let God's word speak for itself. The Bible says a lot of things. Here are a few of uh, the examples. This is what God says about you, about us together. First, we'll start with Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... This is who you are, God's chosen people, holy. You say, I don't feel holy. Well, God says you're holy. You have been set apart for him, dearly loved. God loves you, and he is delighted to see you. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's who we are, and this is what God's chosen people look like. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is who we are, God's holy and chosen and dearly loved people, and this is what it means to be that people, to be who we are in Christ. Uh, The next one we'll read comes from Ephesians chapter 2. And I just want to pull out a few verses that kind of trace the flow of thought in the last half of that chapter, starting with verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's your old group identity. That's the old you before Jesus, separate from God, no access to God's household, no access to God's love, no without hope, without God, you, that's who we were. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. This is your new identity in Christ. Fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, all you all, you are all children of God through faith. That's your identity, children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, is Paul saying that our new group identity in Christ has completely eliminated our old individual identity? Has, it's, there's, no, there's no difference between men? He's not talking about that. He's talking not about no distinctions. He's talking about there's no status change. And how do we know that? Because of the next verse. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you, if you have come to Jesus, you are all children of God. And everyone who is a child of God is on equal footing with the Lord. We're all heirs. Not just the Jews are going to inherit, but all of the Gentiles who follow Christ will also inherit. Not just the free people are going to inherit the kingdom, but the slaves will inherit the kingdom too. Not just the men who will inherit, because in that day, women couldn't inherit. No, in God's household, even the women also inherit. We're all equal in, in, in Christ. This is who we are in Jesus. And these are just a few examples. There are many, many more examples. I'll read one more. One of my favorite New Testament passages it comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Think about that for a minute. You are God's special possession. You're not just some random face in the crowd. God has especially chosen you as his treasured possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who we are in Christ. This is what it means to be the fellowship of believers. So I'm gonna wrap all this up by asking that same question again. Who are your people? You think about that. All of us have people. All of us have multiple group identities, whether we want to or not. And the question is, am I intentionally building relationships with a group of people who are the kind of people that I want to become? If I want to be more loving, am I intentionally building relationships with people who are more loving? If I want to be a person of higher integrity? Am I intentionally building relationships with people who are have of high integrity? If I want my marriage to go 50 plus years, do I have any relationships with people who've been married 50 plus years, right? Am I building relationships with groups of people who are the kind of people that I want to become? Because who we love shapes who we are. And I would also ask this, is Jesus one of your people? You think about who my people are. Is Jesus one of your people or is he just a a character from a Jesus storybook Bible, an interesting guy that lived a few thousand years ago and taught some good things? An historical figure that I don't really know or is Jesus one of my people? Is he in my circle? Am I in his circle? Who we love shapes who we are and we need to be intentional about building relationships with the kind of people that we want to become. Now you might say that sounds rather intense. I don't know those people over there. I'm in a different age and stage of life than they are. Let me tell you a little story. A few weeks ago, uh, a couple invited Kren and I over for dinner. And we showed up with all our kids and all our mess and, and whatever. And, uh, and we get there and the grill's going. And a and sh- couple minutes after we arrived, these 20-something-year-old men started showing up. And I recognize some of them from Lakeview. And, and some of them ha- were here on internships and they've since gone and whatever. But I recognize some of them. And, and by the time the meal was served, here's a whole like, bunch of four or five tw- men in their tw- single men in their 20s hanging out with a couple that's old enough to be their parents. On a Friday night, they could have been at the bars getting in trouble, but instead they're hanging out on a Friday night with a couple old enough to be their parents and a middle-aged family with four kids running around like crazy, right? How did that happen? Watch this story and you'll see.
1: this is the Holy Spirit just weaving all of these things together. And so you just stand back and you're in awe. And you go, who would have thought that he would bring these two? Well, it's more. There's two other young men that are part of this story, too. Mm -hmm. And you go, wow, this is something, you know. He had this in his heart from
2: the beginning of creation. And you go,
1: God, you're amazing.
2: (laughs) You're amazing. Uh, thankful for Carol, and she introduced herself, and I tagged along there and got to know the guys one Sunday after church, and we invited them to go out to eat with us, and um, it was just uh, such a pleasant experience, Uh, enjoyed their company, hearing their backgrounds, their different cultures, um, one Cuban, one Korean, and uh, from then on, the friendship developed, So it was the second time
0: that I came to the church in late February, and then after the service,
3: um, what I remember is Carol um, started asking my name and then Carl's his name. They uh, politely looked over at us, and they had asked us if we wanted to go to brunch with them, uh, which was something that's out of the blue that I've never been asked before, never really been approached. Uh, I've always been told that the people up here in the north are more friendly uh, and amiable than... Where, where I come from.
0: It's, it's something unusual in the United States that someone really offers you a lunch at the first meeting.
3: And we ended up ha, uh, having a very good time there, um, meeting their daughter as well, their granddaughter. And uh, that kind of jump-started a whole relationship where we would go back and forth, going over to their place in order to cook or going someplace else. Um, and that just started uh, a brand new relationship so I really did enjoy it. And afterwards, I just wanted
1: to know them more. We'll just get together and you can, Song, you can make a Korean meal for us. <gasps> that just sparked his, oh yeah, I love that. So then that started this ongoing eating together and being together and fellowshipping together.
2: You know, Song is an incredible cook. Oh, oh, oh I mean, we didn't know this when we first <laughs> met them. And he's come over and cooked three or four meals, or I I don't know what, but, and the last one he cooked was not even Korean, it was Italian, that he saw on YouTube, and he wanted to try it. So without a recipe, pretty much he came in and started putting things together, and it was, uh, you know, incredibly good.
0: When I cook, um, I cook huge quantity, so I have a lot of leftovers, so it's better to finish it off and, and,
3: And one cooking, so being offered the ability to go to someone's house and cook for them—that's something that I've never done before. Something um, out of the ordinary, something uncommon uh, that I—I I, I really enjoyed, and I—I'm glad that I, that I uh, partook in that.
2: I guess the one thing we really enjoy is just eating together. Good food is always fantastic, and sitting around the table and just talking about. The things of that are of interest to them, they're, what they're doing in life, you know, what they do at work. Um, and then the key question that comes up often, or not often, but when Carol and I are meeting with people is, just tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey. Um, a question that everybody can, in some ways, relate to. We don't like to have religious overtones, but just ask them about, ha, have they... Encountered God along the way in life and let them explain their story. And most people love to do that um, to some degree if they feel comfortable in the context that they can open and share and not know that they're going to, or know that they're not going to be judged or, um, you know, just be listened to.
1: You never know how God's going to use you in a very, uh, it could. It could be a very simple way, but he can use these conversations to change you and change them because you see God as God.
0: I never expected it as I um, moved to Stoughton, so this is a memory that I'll never forget in 2022 so far, yep. <laughs> it doesn't take a program. It just takes a meal. Just go and invite somebody over to Culver's or out to a different place or over to your house and share a meal together and find your people. Um, Let me close this with prayer. And before we do, I want to uh, find one of our people. Welcome home, Kelly. We've been praying for you for two and a half years. And we're so glad that you're able to be here with us again. We love you. And so let me pray for you and pray for us as we go out today. Father, we thank you uh, for bringing uh, your daughter, our sister, home. She's not been able to be here for the last two and a half years, but now she's back uh, here and moved back to Stoughton. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless her with an abundance of grace and love and smiles as people come and Say hi. Lord, thank you for establishing this congregation to be a local expression of your household, your family. And I pray this morning not only for Lakeview, but for all of the congregations around this area and in our country and around the world. Over a billion people who are part of your household that will be gathering together today to sing, and to pray, and to worship, and to open your word together. And Lord, I pray that you would be with them, that your blessing would be upon them, that your spirit would be poured out in their midst, that they and us and we would be overflowing with the grace and the love and the mercy that we have received from you, Lord Jesus. And as you overflow your love may it flow out among us and out into the community around us to all of our people and all of the groups that we're a part of at home at work at school at church and may our identity as your chosen people holy and dearly loved a royal priesthood a holy kingdom may that identity be our primary and foundational identity on which the rest of our lives is built. We love you, Lord Jesus, and ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.